Merry Christmas from a word from the Lord. Today, Dr. Beach brings us a special holiday message entitled, The Prelude to His Birth. Here now is our teacher for a word from the Lord, Dr. Foley Beach. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the lessons this day point us to the birth of Jesus, His first Advent, His first coming, the Incarnation, Him being born into the human race as a baby. In today's secular mindset, with all our technology and science fiction and great stories, it's easy to dismiss all we hear at Christmas time as some nice sentimental story with religious overtones. But the coming of Jesus was a real event. His life and death so affected the world that the whole way we keep track of dates was set according to his birth. Some of you may remember it used to be B.C., A.D., in the year of our Lord, B.C., before, before Christ. Now the secularists have changed it to B.C.E., or B.C.E., before the common era, and C.E., common era. So this morning, I'd like us to open our Bibles back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the scripture we just heard. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. I want to invite you to open and follow along as we look at this text. Very important passage in scripture about the birth of Jesus. As we open up to Matthew chapter 1, I'd like to point out a couple of things. First of all, Matthew emphasizes Joseph's perspective. We hear of Joseph's dream. Luke, which has the other big description of the birth of Jesus, he emphasizes Mary's perspective. Thus, we have the Annunciation, the angel appearing to Mary. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here, Matthew's trying to make some very important things clear to his listeners. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That is Jesus the Messiah. He's wanting to make everybody know. Son of David. He's trying to emphasize his prophetic ancestry. And also the son of Abraham, that he was indeed Jewish. The genealogy was very important to Jewish people. And Matthew here goes in descending order and uses Joseph's lineage. He's concerned here about the legal aspects of the claim to be the son of David which would go through the father's line, even though Joseph was not, was not his natural father. Luke, the other main story that we hear about the birth of Jesus, which also has a genealogy, emphasizes Mary's lineage. And rather than focusing on the legal, he's focusing on the royal bloodline. He's wanting to establish to his readers that Jesus' mother was a blood descendant from David. However, since the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, Jews no longer can trace their lineage back to David or Abraham. So it's interesting that one of the main things they emphasize in the first chapter is the genealogy, and now you can't even do that. Verse 17, thus were the 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And then we come to verse 18 where our text was. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged 
to be married to Joseph. Mary and Joseph were pledged, or the word I grew up listening to was betrothed. To be betrothed meant that you were committed to one another. It was a period that preceded marriages. In the Jewish culture, it was a formal contract between parents on behalf of their children. Some of us wish we could do that today, right? Usually the two didn't know each other, and it lasted for about a year. It was a serious position to be in. It couldn't be broken except by a legal divorce. If the groom was to die during this period, the bride would be considered a widow. If one of them was unfaithful during this time, they could be punished for adultery. The betrothal, yet they weren't married yet. The text continues, But before they came together, that's the polite way of saying before they had sex, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now here Joseph discovers that Mary's expecting. They'd not been officially married and they hadn't had sex. The child was through the Holy Spirit. Now Luke tells the story of the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1 about how the, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her what was going to happen. Well, Joseph wasn't aware of all this. Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He plans to divorce her. He figured in some way she'd been unfaithful, but he wasn't going to disgrace her or advertise it. He was just going to call off the wedding and quietly divorce her. But then an angel speaks to Joseph in a dream. Look at the next verse. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, whereas Gabriel goes to Mary in person, he appears to Joseph in a dream. Actually, we don't know it's Gabriel, but it seems that that is his role in Scripture, to announce and proclaim what is about to happen. So what does he say? He says, Joseph, son of David, meaning he was a descendant of King David, just like Mary was. Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For this baby is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she hadn't done anything wrong. God has intervened in your lives. This baby is of the Holy Spirit. Now, doesn't that happen to us sometimes? We're sailing along, living life, and then God intervenes. We have a setback, or we have a success. We lose a job, or or we get a job. A relationship falls apart, or someone just appears into our life. He turns our world upside down. And it's not that we've done anything wrong. It's just the Holy Spirit, and he's working out his purpose in our lives. Pastor Rob Reed and his wife were excited about their first church assignment in Brooklyn to reopen a church which hadn't been used in years. Now, it was October, and although it was run down, they set as their goal to clean it up and have things ready to have church by Christmas Eve. They worked hard, replastering walls, painting, repairing pews. And on December 18th, they were almost ready. On December 19th, a heavy rainstorm hit New York. 
and the weather system just set over New York, dumping inches and inches of rain. Two days later, on the 21st, Pastor Reed went over to the church, and his heart sank as he saw that the roof had leaked and had caused a large chunk of plaster, about 20 feet by 8 feet, to fall off the wall at the front of the church behind the pulpit. God intervened. He cleaned up the mess off the floor the best he could, but concluded that he should probably just cancel the Christmas Eve service. Well, he was on his way home, and he noticed that the business was having a flea market kind of sale to raise money for charity, so he stopped. And one of the items for sale was a beautiful handmade ivory-colored crocheted tablecloth. It had exquisite work, fine colors, and a cross was embroidered right in the middle of the tablecloth. It was just about the right size to cover up the hole in the front wall of the church, so he bought it, and he headed back to the church. By the time he got to the church, it had started snowing, and he noticed an older woman running to catch a bus, but she missed it. Pastor Reed invited her into the church where it was warm to wait for the next bus, which was going to be about 45 minutes. She sat down in the pew and paid no attention to him as he got a ladder out and put up the tablecloth and put it up like a tapestry to cover up the damage of the rain. He was amazed how perfectly it covered the area and how how beautiful it looked. Then he noticed the woman walking down the aisle. Her face was white as a ghost. Pastor, where did you get that tablecloth? He explained. She asked him to check to see if the initials RBG were crocheted in the lower right corner. Sure enough, they were. They were her initials, and she had crocheted that tablecloth 35 years before in Austria. The woman explained that before World War II, she and her husband had been fairly wealthy folks in in Austria. And when the Nazis came, she was forced to leave, and her husband was going to follow the next week, but he was captured and sent to prison. She never saw her husband or her home again. Pastor Reed wanted to give her the tablecloth, but she insisted that the church keep it. He said, well, at least he could give her a ride home, and he did. She lived on the other side of Staten Island and evidently had just come to Brooklyn only for that day to do a house cleaning cleaning job. Well, Christmas Eve came, and they had a wonderful service in the church. It was almost full from the people from the neighborhood. And after the service, all the people filed out except one man. He was an older man the pastor had recognized from the neighborhood. He just sat in the pew and continued to stare at the front of the church. Pastor Reed wondered why he wasn't leaving. He just continued to sit there and stare. Finally, the man asked him where he got the tablecloth on the front wall because it was identical to the one that his wife had made years ago when they lived in Austria. How could there be two tablecloths so similar? He told the pastor that the Nazis came and how his wife was forced to leave and how he was supposed to follow, but he was arrested and sent to prison. He said he never saw his wife or his home again. Pastor Reed asked if he would like to go for a little ride. So they drove to Staten Island to the same house that he had driven the woman a few days earlier, and he helped the man climb the stairs to the apartment where the woman lived. 
And he saw the greatest Christmas reunion that he could ever imagine. All because of a tablecloth. All because God intervened. Now, isn't that what happens when God intervenes in our lives? He turns our world upside down, or I should say right side up. And he makes all our hard work go for naught. The plaster falls off the wall. The service is going to be canceled. And when this happens, we need to hear the word of the angel that he said to Joseph, do not be afraid because this is of the Holy Spirit. Something new is being birthed in your life. And if we will follow the Holy Spirit's leading, we can see the birthing of another miracle here and now in our lives. Do not be afraid, Joseph. This is of the Holy Spirit. Well, the story continues with verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The angel now gives prophecies about this baby. The baby will be a boy. It will be a son. He will have a name, Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. Now, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. The Hebrews usually pronounce Yeshua. You can hear the same initials, Joshua, Yeshua. Vines says this is a transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. Or Jehovah is Savior. Not only does Jesus' name mean the Lord saves, but the angel tells Joseph that his purpose will be to save people from their sins. So here in the announcement of his birth to Joseph, we see a foreshadowing of the cross. Because it's on the cross that Jesus will literally save people from their sins. Jesus, the Lord saves. It's a powerful name. Jesus. Use it sometime and see what happens. Jesus, when you are in need, call, on, call out Jesus. Speak it, Jesus. When you feel alone, call out Jesus. Speak it. When you're being tempted, call out Jesus. Speak it out loud. When you're being oppressed or distressed, call out Jesus. Speak it. It's a powerful name. Jesus the Lord saves. And the text continues in verse 22 that this is happening in fulfillment of prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is a quotation of Isaiah seven fourteen. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. Emmanuel literally means with us is God. With us is God. Now, some scholars argue that the Hebrew word for virgin in Isaiah could mean young woman. And so this is not talking about a virgin birth, but a young woman giving birth. But these scholars forget that in Hebrew culture, to be a young woman was to be a virgin. They couldn't conceive of it any other way. 
No pun intended. We are so desensitized because of our media, because of what's on TV or movies or commercial or the internet or stories or even people that we know. We hear about all kinds of sex in all kinds of situations, before marriage, during marriage, a part of marriage, after marriage. And we forget that in Isaiah's day and in Joseph's day, for that matter, sex was holy and reserved for a married couple, a man and a woman. It was God's design and still is. To be a young woman was to be a virgin. They meant the same thing in Hebrew culture. Now, all that being said, 600 years before Joseph's dream, the Lord through Isaiah prophesied, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Notice as well here that as Matthew tells the story, it's the angel from God who points out that this was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. For you see in the next verse, Joseph wakes up. Actually, let's look at that. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Here we see Joseph's obedience. He woke up, he obeyed. He fulfilled the engagement period and then he married Mary. He didn't have sex with her until after Jesus was born. And he gave the, the baby the name Jesus. So before Jesus was born, God was at work in the lives of both Joseph and Mary. He was orchestrating his divine purpose in entering the human race as a crying, pitiful, vulnerable human baby. In this passage, we find no less than five prophecies from the Old Testament being fulfilled. It was no accident or coincidence that Jesus was born in this way and at this time. Now think for a minute, if you were God, how would you seek to take on flesh? If you were attempting to identify and serve humans, how would you go about it? Would you think that becoming a baby would be at the top of your list? Wouldn't be the top of mine. Would you think that going through all that he had to die on a cross for the sins of the world would be on the list? Yet Romans 5, 8 tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is this story to us? We know the rest of the story. We know about his life, his miracles, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promises. What about it to us? How is it affecting us? We know that we can be saved from our sins by coming to him in repentance, by receiving him as our Savior, by following him as our Lord. We know that we can be saved from our sins and the effects of our sins. And we know that he's given us the Holy Spirit, which now we can say, Emmanuel, God with us. For those of us who know him and who've been saved from our sins, I want to ask this question. How can we keep it to ourselves? 
Why do we have such a difficult time sharing it with others? When we hear of the miracle, we've experienced the miracle, we see miracles in our lives, yet we keep our mouths shut. Why do we keep it to ourselves? Well, we're going to try to help you with this. You have two good opportunities in the next few weeks. First, bring someone to church on Christmas Eve. When you come on Christmas Eve, invite a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Bring them to hear the story of the Savior's birth. We're making it easy for you. All you have to do is come, and they're going to get to hear it. A simple way of asking questions about the God of the universe and existence and how God made things. We're giving you an opportunity to expose those you care about to the greatest story ever told, to the greatest news any newscast could ever broadcast. And we won't embarrass them. We won't embarrass you for that matter. We just want them to hear and believe the most awesome, powerful, life-transforming message on the planet. The advent of God. The coming of God into the world. And how he came in the form of a baby. And he lived and he died and he rose again so that you and I might have eternal life abundant life, fulfillment in life, in Him. Isn't that a great message? Do you agree that that's a great message? Well, then share it. Don't keep it. Our world out there is falling apart, and people are hurting and struggling and needy and desperate and open if you'll just share. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this broadcast of A Word from the Lord. It's that time of year again when A Word from the Lord evaluates the effectiveness of our broadcast. 
This information is very important and helps us here at A Word from the Lord evaluate our ministry investment into local markets. So you can contact us by writing to us, P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Or you can email Dr. Beach at foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. Please include the city and the call letters of the station where you hear a word from the Lord. If you would like to get a copy of today's message, write to us at P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Or you can order online at awordfromthelord.org. If you have any comments or questions, you can email Foley at foleybeach at awordfromthelord.org. For everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.